It is your Classic Metal Show right here on theclassicmetalshow.com. That is a song called Give It Up, It Is Great White. That comes from the Full Circle release. And coming full circle after a long time away from the Classic Metal Show is the one, the only, the guitarist, the great guitarist of Great White, Mr. Mark Kendall. Mark, how are you, sir? Doing good. Thanks, Chris. Sure, man. Well, Mark, I, I, I played that song specifically because I love the intro to that. It is very much, it's almost like it's your your homage to Jimi Hendrix in a way, man. It's such a cool song. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Um, it was a real exciting time to go back and work with Michael Wagner because we hadn't been with him in so long. And uh, he, he just creates a, a vibe, you know, and uh, makes it real comfortable. So it was a lot of fun doing that record. No question. Well, Mark, for you, the touring never seems to stop, man. It seems like you guys are always on the road. It seems like every every day I turn, you know, I go to YouTube or something, I see, well, they're in New York today. Well, they're in Idaho today or Omaha or wherever. It seems like you guys never stop, man. It's a, it's a good yeah. problem to have these days, isn't it? Sure. And, you know, the fans are still there. We got a sold-out show in New York tomorrow. Um so, you know, that we still get pumped. I mean, it's exciting, you know, and uh, just, just to chill with the fans. We always have huge meet and greets, you know, and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's really eventful. The tours, it's not like touring in the, back in the day when we had buses and everything was routed perfect. So that's sure. why we're like, we might be in New York and then Minnesota and then Florida or something, you know. So, but it's all good. You know, airplanes will get you there quick. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're thrilled. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Mark, um, you know, obviously since the last time that, that I spoke to you, um, you, you've had a change at, at vocalist, uh, Terry left, you've got Mitch Malloy fronting the band now, and he's been there more than a year. So that, you know, that's our bad, yeah. I guess, for not, not communicating, but let's talk a little bit yeah. about Mitch coming into the band, man. Um, yeah. it, it's such a weird thing with that guy. He's so unbelievably talented as a singer and just never yeah. found the right band or the right niche or whatever to, to rise to that status level. You know, what, what was yeah. it about Mitch that, that you saw that, that finally had you bring him into the band? Uh, well, I'd seen him a couple times, uh, but not in a singing situation. Okay. And I, I didn't know anything about him whatsoever. Um, mainly because of all the touring we did back in the day. And um, he just kind of flew under the radar for me, I, I, you know, but he's a great, great singer. I happened to see this Van Halen story on my phone one morning and, and remembered him from coming into Wagner's to do a shout vocal with a bunch of other people. And I, I met him on the cruise. He actually, on the monsters cruise, he okay. came on stage. So that morning I was on the phone I'm going, who is this guy, you know, and, and he was in Van Halen, I guess for a couple months, it didn't work out, but right. I listened to him do like Panama. And then I, I'm going, Holy crap. He's got this like 10 album solo career, and all this right. stuff, you know? And then I started seeing him like, he's on like Jay Leno and, you know, shows like that. So I'm like, Whoa. And I listened to a couple of his solo songs. I'm going, man, this dude has like pipes for days. I mean, he really has a range. 
he looks amazing. So um, we got a hold of him, see if he's interested um, in, like, you know, coming down and jamming with us. And he wasn't sure if his voice would fit. So we sent him uh, old music, you know, like the old hits, like Rock Me and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then a couple new ones. And he had a studio, I guess he had, like mixed Kenny Loggins and, you know, so he's right. real familiar in the studio, you know, being an engineer. So he overdubbed his vocal, no problem. He's going, holy crap, man, this melts in pretty good. Like he was even kind of shocked. And and then we heard it and we're going, dude, here's your plane ticket. Let's go. Right. You know, so he, he came out, we jammed for three days and, went and did a show and he's been in the band like, like a year and a half now. So it's pretty crazy or even more than that, actually. Sure. Soon it'll be two years. So, right. Um, he really, he really brings it every night. Um, as far as why the stars didn't line up for him perfect and he didn't like go huge. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe his stuff was too pop orientated because he seems to really, uh, rock pretty hard, you know, on stage and engages the crowd and all that, you know, like the big singers do. Sure. He seems like he's real natural with that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. You know, we really like him. Excellent. And you're right. It, it is such a weird thing with, he has the voice, he has the chops. He definitely seems to have the, the presentation, I guess it's, it, yeah. it's, it's probably more than anything else back in the day for him. It was probably just really being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Absolutely. You know, when I was up and coming, uh, you know, it just so happened one night the stars lined up and the right guy was in the crowd. Right. But I, I had friends, you know, Tracy G and a lot of buddies of mine who, who just tore the guitar up mm -hmm. at, Tracy did real good, you know, because he was in Dio and stuff. Right. But I had other friends that, uh, I don't know, I, I would think that, you know, they kind of blow me away. You know? <laughs> but, but you know, in my mind, I mean, God, I used to learn from guys like Mark St. John and, you know, uh, so, some of the guys that maybe didn't get in the right situation, you know. Mm -hmm. So it, it has a lot to to do with luck and, and having the right group of people and the right music and being in the right place at the right time. So there's a lot of factors, you know, I've never heard a story where somebody, you know, sent their bio and eight by 10 and demo <laughs> tape to a record company and got a deal. Right. <laughs> it's always, it's always oh, some crazy story and it just happened to be here and, you know, right. Something good happened. So, but it is perseverance. I, I'm not going to say it's, it's absolute 100% luck because we did put ourselves in a position to get lucky by playing so much. Sure. But apart from that, you do have to have things go your way, you know, a little bit. Right. And, and a big part of it, I think, for, for you guys, too, was just, you know, the chemistry of of sounds and everything else. It was the right chemistry yeah. to not sound, you know, and I'm just thinking back to when I first discovered great white, which was, you know, um, shot in the dark, I think was the first tape I had. Yeah. And, um, sure. you know, what was unique about you guys then was that you, you sort of had 
the sound that was that everybody had, but not so much that it sounded clonish. There were a lot of bands that came out at that yeah. time, but I think the the addition of the blues stuff and you know and certainly the ballads yeah. helped establish Great White almost away from a lot of the bands that came out at the same time. It's, it's funny you say that because Eddie Truck Trunk had said something similar. He said. There was something about Great White, that, that blues overtone that kind of separated them mm-hmm. from, you, you know, some of the other bands, what made it kind of a little different. Sure. You know, we had the fashion as far as, you know, we had the hair, we had the Aquanet, you know, our clothes were being made by the same guy who made Judas Priest clothes, Motley Crue clothes, right. Rats clothes, you know, so... That was the fashion, but it really didn't dictate our, to our music at all, really. Right. So you can you can call it hair metal or whatever you want, but you know it really didn't have anything to do with just, uh, apart from that was kind of the fashion at the time. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna, that, I'm yeah. gonna ask you a question, and, and I, you know I know your life has changed greatly since, but I had always yeah. heard always heard and i and i honestly think this is the reason you got lumped in with the with the hair bands with the motley crew and and poison and whatever was because you guys partied so hard and and when i say that i've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of bands and they all say that back in that time that you know it wasn't motley crew it wasn't guns and roses that were partying the hardest it was great white every band has told me that yeah it was pretty silly uh yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, you know, we had every single, you got to realize this is every single day. We're playing five nights a week right. in arenas. So we had four cases of beer, you know, three bottles of Stoli, wine, and it was like gone every gig. You know? So, yeah, there was some partying going on. I mean, we were partying with like VJs from MTV. Right. <laughs> You'd be shocked. <laughs> You'd be shocked, man. But, uh, yeah, we definitely um, had a good time, uh, but when you go a little too hard, it starts catching up with you as far as physically. Right. I mean, um, you know, you, you from the traveling, and then you're partying real hard, it starts to catch it, you know, your body starts to tell you, hey, dude, you know, right. you got a show tonight. I remember on tour Judas Priest, I played pool with Glenn Tipton for about 10 hours until like eight in the morning. And we had a show that night. We must've drank like 20 pitchers of beer. <laughs> we were both, we both looked at each other and he goes, Mark, and he's walking on stage. He goes, I don't feel well. <laughs> you know? So yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I kind of just quit everything, you know, sure. a, a few years back, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm not ashamed of of uh, of anything from back then. Sure, and, and, and nor should you be then or now. You know, I I know from seeing a lot of the stuff that you post online. You know, you you take a lot of pride not only in in maintaining your own sobriety, but in the fact yeah. that that you've really helped. It seems like you've helped a lot of people, both directly and just yeah. indirectly, to get themselves clean yeah. and and. You know, to me, it seems like you take as much pride in that as you do anything musically. Oh, oh, no doubt. Because I know how difficult it is to get sober. And there's people out there that, you know, and I'm 
only t- I'm not talking about social drinkers that, you know, go out and have fun. Mm-hmm. I- I'm talking about people that are like suffering sure. and, and just don't know how to get away from it. And my whole reason for doing it was just thinking that maybe I could share my story with them and tell them, Hey, I'm just like you. It's just that I got better and here's the way I did it. And I started that uh, about eight years ago and started, people started, you know, kind of being my sober friend and I send them daily meditations and prayers and stuff. And it grew from like one guy to now I have like 120 people right. on my online support group. Right. And uh, I've seen a lot of success, you know. Mm. Um, so it's just something that I thought, you know, instead of using Facebook to showcase my guitar and how great I am or whatever, <laughs> you know, I just thought this would be something I'd be giving back a little bit. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great stories of people that were really damaged and, and I've seen the transition from, from how they looked before and after. And it's like pretty amazing now. Oh, it is. It, it, so I enjoy that. Sure. And now I'm curious for you, you know, obviously a lot of the places that you play, you know, make, make their living selling alcohol and, and, you know, you're obviously around it. How, I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously a veteran of it at this point, but how difficult is it sometimes when, when it's, you know, all around you, you know, pretty much every weekend. Yeah. What I tell newcomers and I mean, people that, you know, maybe they only got a couple weeks sobriety is try to stay out of those situations. Sure. Um, the way I do it is just, it's a one day at a time process. I mean, I don't get any really, um, urges to drink or, or anything like that hasn't happened for quite a while, but, um, you know, there's people out there that drink socially and they don't have a problem and I don't have a problem with them. I mean, if, if I'm next to somebody and they're talking to me and they're really, really wasted and like spitting on me or something, right. you know, I might kind of turn and walk away. But as far as it being a thing that's going to make me drink, uh, that's probably not going to happen. But I do suggest people identify their triggers and, uh, and maybe it's not a good idea to go to bars when you're trying to be sober right? or, you know, try to keep out of situations where, and what I mean by identifying your triggers, like a lot of times it could be, you know, just anger, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and a lot of times in the early stages of sobriety, like four to six weeks, you start grabbing excuses out of the air while you should drink. Like my life's still horrible. So screw this, man. Right. I'm just going to drink. You know what I mean? So I kind of warn against that. I go, just try to get past those angry moments. Like, the world still sucks, you know, and right. all that. And right. if the, if you can get by for about three months, you start to notice that things start changing around you and getting better. And I, I just want people to kind of get into that zone where they can really see improvement in their life. Sure. Definitely. Now, now yeah. Mark, um, you know, moving back, moving back to music here, (laughs) you know, I I mean, it's good stuff, but I don't want to just turn this into a, you know, a a social thing, but you know, with, with now that Mitch has been back, has been in the band for, you know, like you said, going on two years now and you know, you, you, 
you certainly learned some lessons with elation and full circle working with Terry. Are, is there yeah. going to be new music recorded with Mitch or, or, yeah. or yes, what? Absolutely. Uh, we've been writing. Okay. Um, I got a lot of ideas. I've been going in and out of the studio. I've sent him music. He's come back with lyrics and melody and song. Um, so we're, we're kind of in the idea stages right now. Um, in fact, Michael was just in my drummer's studio, okay. hooking it all up. So we're going to start to get together and put these ideas together and try to come out with something. Okay. Does, is, do you do music now recording new music? Is it more of a passion thing than a music, than a money thing? Because, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, it is, it yeah. is very hard to sell any music yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We've always been in it for that reason, you know, not really, of course, money happens and you need it to survive, but sure. uh, we've always done it out of the love for it, you know, regardless of the world changing, um, making new music is what gives us our energy, Right. you know, I mean, to, you know, we don't want to, I, I mean, I, when I say this, I don't mean that we're not grateful, but uh, to become just an oldies band that just goes out there and plays once a bit twice shy. Right. It, it's great. And we're grateful for rock me and all our hits. And we, and that the fans love those songs, but we also need to, to, you know, for our motivation and energy and for us to be excited, we got to keep making new music. Sure. Is it, is it, we got to keep, you know, is going. it, is it difficult for you to find places to, you know, it, obviously when you do new music and you want to present it live, yeah. you have to cut something out of the set list. And, 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 yeah. you know, I, I know it this way. I know in my heart, I know that you would probably much rather play big time than once bitten twice shy, you know, not because you don't like the song, but because you've played yeah. it 10,000 times versus a song like yeah. big time or moonshine or something that you, you know, just haven't played yeah. out a yeah. bunch of times for, for fans. How do you make that decision? I mean, there's certain songs that you obviously have to play no matter what every night, but yeah. how, how do you make the decision on, well, we're going to, we're going to kill, I don't know, the angel song or something. And instead we're going to put in cry of a nation. The way we do it is, is, and I'm talking even like way back in the day, apart from when we only had one record. So we went out and played the whole thing. Right. But when we started to get three and four albums under our belt, you know, when we come out with a new record, we just play a couple of the songs. You know, mm -hmm. we wouldn't bombard them with the entire album or something unless we're doing some special performance. So sure. when we come out with a new album, we just take two tracks and, and we'll play those live and kind of test them out. And, you know, so we never bombard people with new music. We, we just take a couple at a time. Sure. And, and that that's enough to keep us excited, you know, because... Believe it or not, when you just interchange a couple songs to the set, it makes the whole. It gives it a whole different look. Sure. Well, and and it gives you all a. a you know, I I've heard this before. You could tell me if I'm right or not, but I've heard even just rearranging the songs. You know, the order that they're played because you have to re. You know, for you as a guitar player or, or for the rhythm section or the singer, yeah. you know, you have to change up how you transition into the songs or maybe what, you know, what the stage rap is or something. So it doesn't get stale. Right. right. 
And, and not only that, we have some extended jams that are different, like every show. Sure. So we we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, so that that's exciting. Also, when when not, not everything's pre-planned, you know, like. Um, but yeah, rearranging the set, uh, maybe interchanging three or four songs, you know, which would be considered B songs. But believe it or not, a lot of B songs have become that were never really hits on the charts mm-hmm. had become what, what they used to call a turntable hit. Right. Which means, like a song like Save Your Love was never in the top ten, but it's a hit with the fans. Like sure. they love that song. And and uh and a couple of other ones that, you know I mean, literally a whole career we've only had you know, we've had a lot of songs like in the top twenty as far as Billboard goes. Mm-hmm. But we have we've only had two songs in the top ten, you know, ones that were like competing with Michael Jackson. Right. <laughs> so and usually a band's career they only have I mean, if you have two songs that made it in the top ten, that that's actually not a bad career. No. You know? I mean, you know, it could be worse. Well and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of bands that are out there that don't have two two songs that are still you know, able to tour, you know, 35 years left, you know, not picking on them, but autograph had one, you know, I, I mean, that's the first one that came yeah. to mind was autograph had turned up the radio and they can still tour based on the yeah. love of that one song. It's you get two. And uh, you mentioned that you mentioned that band because I, I know, uh, I knew the singer from way, way back right. a long time ago. He was in a band called Wolfgang, oh, wow. uh, Steve Plunkett. And, right. uh, he was always kind of a guy I looked up to. So when that band came out, I was real happy for him, sure. you know, and yeah. we, we had run into them uh, over the past five years, a few times and played some shows with them. So that, that's kind of, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Sometimes it's just one hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a, a strange situation to what a hit is. It, it's, you know, I guess something that the fans can relate to that they hear a lot. Right. You know, yeah, you, you know, and it's, it's a weird thing because I honestly think that true fans of a band really don't care about the radio hits, you know, like, you know, the, the true yeah. fans of great white probably don't care as much about once bitten twice shy as they do a song like, I don't know, Mr. Bone or whatever that, you know, that yeah, they, because they're, the true fans wore the records out. The true fans listened to front and back of their cassette tape for years where the casual fan, you know, heard it on the radio until it wasn't on the radio. And even a lot of the fans, they even go to deeper cuts than Mr. Bone. Sure. You know, uh, and it's hysterical because we'll do a meet and greet. And they said, why didn't you play some obscure song that we maybe (laughs) played once 20 years ago? You know, Uh, you know, so it's when you have 13 albums it is very difficult to please everyone sure you know? of course nice unless you're gonna play a 20 hour show <laughs> yeah not not neat not today right <laughs> nice the longest show we ever played was it was almost three hours i felt like i was bruce springsteen or something like <laughs> let's take a 15 minute break halfway through right but, uh we played 24 songs oh, in japan Wow. It was like the longest show known to man. <laughs> and when you have a show that long, what we kind of realized is you need more going on 
um, visually right. and just playing song after song after song um, to to make it exciting. Sure. Something, something's got to be dynamic visually. Just kind of like a song like Rock Me. It, it, it's slamming at one point, and then it goes down to where there's hardly anything going on. Right. And then, your show needs to do that. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing that Springsteen's been able to do it, do it forever. And, and, you know, he's the ap- absolute opposite of that. He really doesn't have a lot going on on his stage other than a lot of people. You know, he's, yeah, he, it's he, a trip. It, he has really good songs though. And he, he takes a break. Right. Like, which to me, I mean, he, he can do it. He's Bruce Springsteen. He can pretty much do what he wants, but, to me, that would be the weirdest thing known to man because we kind of crescendo until the end and then boom, you know, it's mm-hmm. over. I can't imagine going, okay, we're going to take a break now. Sure. You know, you know, go, go grab something to eat or, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. it, it just, it seems like something you do. Well, something like we used to do when we used to play five sets a night. And right. Comers, you know? We'd, you know, don't forget to tip the waitresses and all that. Right. But uh, taking a break right in the middle of your show, I can't envision a band like us doing that. The only one that I've seen do it well, and you can relate to him musically, is Jason Bonham with his with the Led Zeppelin experience. He oh cool. He does it the way he does it though is it's is like you said it's almost like the like club days where he's doing the Zeppelin songs. And he, he literally does a set that leads to a leads to a crescendo and then he comes back out and he starts over with kind of like some video of his family and stuff and just kind of oh. leads people in and then builds back up again and then you know ends obviously with like stairway to heaven or something that well, well that yeah well that's what, kind of what I was saying about it. something has to happen visually yeah if you're gonna play a big long set with mm-hmm. you know maybe play a video like you said or, or something you know, to give a lot, a lot sure. of stuff for people to look at, you know what I mean? No question. Well, Mark, um, obviously it's a busy time for great white, uh, great white will be here in Cleveland, um, in a week and a half. And I can't wait. It's, um, on Friday, yeah. the 20, what is that? The 22nd or 21st, whatever the date is. 22nd. I yeah, think. 22nd. But, uh, yeah. We're excited to play Cleveland for some reason. We haven't got there a ton. And I always love Cleveland, man. Uh, I remember that venue that we used to play. I think we did it with White Snake and uh, maybe Ellis Cooper. I can't remember, but they have. Oh no, it's Twisted Sister. Like you can play one side of the place and then play the other. It was like a theater, and then oh, the Agora. Side. Yeah, the Agora. Yeah, yeah. That was that place was a trip, man. Sure, I, I really liked that. And you know what's weird about it? What's that? When you're playing on the theater side, mm-hmm. the acoustics are so, like, uh, I guess you'd call it uh, dead, you know what I mean? Okay. To where you can't really hear the crowd, so you, you think they might not be into it. Right. But they're going completely batshit. <laughs> you know? it, it, it was really a strange gig, but I figured it out. You know, I go, no, it's just the acoustics of the room that... Um, that that are it's kind of silent i, I don't know it's a, a very it was right. kind of a strange experience but uh 
a lot of fun. I had a lot of good memories, and there's a lot of great fans in Cleveland. It's, it's unbelievable. No question. Well, we're definitely looking forward to, to seeing you here in a couple of weeks. And why don't we do this, Mark? Why don't we um, wrap this interview up with a, I'll let you pick anything from the Great White Catalog that you'd like us to play. Maybe tell us a quick story about it to wrap it up. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, man. Okay. Um, well, you know, uh, I hate to do one familiar one, but um, uh, here's the story. You know, we, we put out our first album, and we got off the White Snake and Judas Priest tour way back in the early 80s, right. and we didn't sell enough records. So the record company said, well, we owe you another record, but we're not going to do anything with it. So we go, well, that would be pointless to waste music, so it's just part ways. Right. So we went through a whole year with no record deal, and and then... Capital sent an A&R man to come see us, and we got a deal with them, which was the father company of EMI America, right. who basically dropped us. <laughs> so we, instead of having to prove ourselves with some kind of demo record, um, we made a record from scratch. And that's when we came, well, we got signed by Capital. Uh, we came with Rock Me was the first single. And I remember hearing it back. And, you know, you kind of have tunnel vision about your parts and what you're playing. You really don't know what's going to happen with the final result. Right. But I remember sitting there and I was right next to the A&R guy hearing it back on the speakers. And I was like, it, it, like, I didn't know what I'd done or what the band had done until that moment when I heard it back. I go, holy shit, this is a good <laughs> song, man. And, and You know what I mean? So that was a great moment. So go ahead, blast that one. Why not? All right. Well, let's check it out right now. It is Great White with Rock Me right here on your classic metal show. <laughs> 